Ah, welcome to the romance novel outlet. I'm Radicchio. How may I help you? Wow, sir, you have a very rich timbered voice. Um, sorry, I'm a little, I'm a little taken aback. Um, thank you. My voice is a model. Wow, your voice is a model. That's incredible. Mm. Like not voice work, but like, no. huh? You'll have to show me a link to that later. Um, I, uh, I'm actually looking for a new romance novel. Uh, oh, need something... a gift for your tender lover. Oh, no, 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 no. It's a quarantine. I would never take a new lover. Uh, no, something, um, I'm actually, I actually do a romance, uh, romance podcast with my best oh. friend. What? What's it called? Oh, it's a, it's called the Gentleman's Romantic <gasps> Book Nook. Or. That's lucky. Oh my God. You've heard of us. You're one <sighs> of our thousands of listeners. Wow. Incredible. I devour it. I consume it. I poop it out and show it to my bear friends. <laughs> Reference oh. to the first arc. Yeah, the kind of the rough one. Um, well, so, I guess I'm glad. Spill the proverbial beans, Lucky. What's Mac like in real life? You're, you're not going to tell him, right? What? Oh, no. Secrets between us. Here. At the Romance Novel Outlet. Open 8 to 9 p.m. Tuesdays through Friday. No, I know. I'm here at those times. Um, <laughs> he's, a, he's a bit of a diva. You know, I don't want to put the guy down, but... Uh, Mac? No. Yeah, you know, no, sorry, that was that was right. I would never talk down about my co-host. He's a wonderful human and a great man. So what are you looking for in a romance novel? Well, you know, we've been uh we've been doing this show for a while now. I think that we have at least some expertise under our wings. Definitely something with some sexual interaction, but mm. not with an animal, not with demon spirits. That would be a good thing to stay away from. I don't mind fantasy, certainly. I think I've got just the thing for you, Lucky. Mm. I have your new novel, written by me, Radicchio, oh, one wow. name like Cher. Uh-huh. It's called X-X-X-Men. Do you know the X-Men? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, you know, I they're, was just kind of hoping... They're not real, they're a fictional band of mutated comic book teenagers. Now, this is just like that, but oh, so much more sexual. Oh, Cyclops, oh. Rogue, Gambit... Wait, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, did you say Psychox? Um, yes. Illegally distinguishable from Cyclops. Rogue is there. Gambut. Uh, they're all there and all nude. Should I um, bag it up for you? Or I appreciate that you're a listener and I appreciate your um, confidence in pitching me a book that you obviously have taken so much time and put so much love into. You're welcome. Um, uh, no is going to be the, uh, the short answer, frankly. Um, I need something maybe a little bit more high profile, a little bit more um, going to get the people's motors running. Okay, well, keep me in mind. Um? It seems like you need a uh, more custom job. That's all right. We have contracts with Harlequin and Himlequin. Uh, I'll just need some more information to get started here. Um, your height, weight, and girth were calculated when you entered our store. But I'm sorry, uh, what? Uh, just, th- just the cameras that you see there. Uh, they're high-tech AI. Um, but to narrow in on your choices, I'll need you to answer the following questions. All right. How much vaginal description are you looking for on a scale of one to three? Oh, man, you're not really giving me a lot of room to play in there. That's like, that's a very, you're talking about none to, I would just say too much. I guess zero two? is not an option. No, I assumed zero was not an option. I I know what the fans like. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to go with two, I guess. Two. Mm, all right. We're trying to tone it back in this, uh, moving forward. I had already written down three, but I can, there's an eraser on this, on this pencil. No worries. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you go ahead and erase that then? Question number two. Would you like more or less babies than in your current book? So, 
So many less babies would be great. Okay, so zero. An infinite amount less babies is ideal. No babies. Not in a romance novel. Perfect. All right, let's see here. And last and most importantly, are there any openings for a third host at GRBN? Ooh. Um, you know, we'll have to talk to Mac about that one. You know, and like I said, he's, oh, yes. he's going to have an opinion about that. Please so. tell him about me. Hmm. Uh, actually, just as you, know, you told me about him. Yeah, I'll have a lot to say about you. Uh, do you mind giving me a headshot that I can give him or just something so we can uh, I'll put it ask? in. It's on the back of XXXmen, which I'll put in no, with I your don't. package when we're done. Nice charge. Uh, all right. Uh, so I've got the answers I need. Um, I'll run this upstairs. Your book should be ready in six to eight months. What? Why would you not? You kind of buried the lead oh, there. That no. was a. It's a custom novel, Lucky. It takes it takes some time. I. But you already. I guess you already have my credit card. So yes, it's right. been scanned. We scanned that at the entrance as well. Yeah, that sucks. That's a really bad business model. Um, All right, well, I'll just run this upstairs then, and uh, we'll see you here in July. I, I guess I'll just browse then. Fine. Oh, wait, sir, sir. I, they always walk away right when you get into the store. Oh, Lucky, hey. Oh, holy shit, Mac, I what, what are you doing here? I'm here to get a new romance novel for the show. Oh, that's crazy. I thought it was my turn. Oh, my God, what a crazy coincidence. Oh, that's fun. Um... Did you already get what? How long is it going to? Um, yeah, that's kind of the bad news, I guess. It's going to take, you know, probably like eight months to get this thing. What? Get this thing moving. Yeah, I know. That's kind of my reaction. It seems like an unsustainable business model. You know, I'm actually kind of concerned this is like an underground black market bookstore since they sc- scanned my weight and card as I walked in and had my information. Um, I'm pretty I sure they I'm not scanned my whole butt. Yeah, no, that was a special service. You went in the side door. <laughs> I went in the back door. <laughs> Uh, well, since we're waiting, do you want to just do the season finale for GRBN? I mean, she, I mean, this is a perfect time for it. This sound, that sounds fantastic. Okay, yeah. Uh, well, there's some some nice chairs over here. Some books. Oh, it's a a book nook. That's fitting. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I like this. Well, welcome back to the Gentleman's Romantic Book Nook, a journey into love and literature. I am your co-host, Lucky. And I am Mac W. Mani, broadcasting to you live from Portland, Oregon. Uh, that's right. This is the show where we read the wackiest romance novels we can find, from the mainstream to the extremely niche. And we are wrapping up our conversation today on The Cowboy from Christmas Past by Tina Leonard. Wrapping up this conversation on this futuristic past cowboy romance confusing novel and... Wrapping up our first season, I think it's time to yeah. reset the clock and dive into a new selection of books for our wonderful and adoring fans. A new year, a new outlook on life, a new season of GRBN. But first, we need to tie the bow up on The Cowboy from Christmas Past. Yeah, so I mean, where do you think this book lies on that scale of ex- mainstream to the extremely niche? Because I think it kind of hits both in, in weird ways. I would say the amount of product placement is incredibly mainstream for our current just lifestyle in general. I would say extremely niche in the fact that there's really nothing going on in this book the entire time. Pretty, pretty niche. <laughs> yeah, it's heavy emphasis on babies and cowboys and playing into those. I don't know if you'd call them fetishes, but it's certainly it's not if it's not a fetish, it's like driving around fetishes block. It, they're lightly tapping into the fetishes just to <laughs> dip a toe in. Oh, hang on. That's a different type of fetish. <laughs> dip of the toes.com. Um don't go there. Don't go there. Don't oh go god, there. you guys. Please don't go there. This section of the reading in particular gets pretty nutty. Uh, I think you're going to dive into it a little bit more, but just like, in general, it turned from a romance story between two people to like a wacky sitcom, like Three's Company meets the Old West, but a, another baby and an extra guy that everybody hates. 
I guess I will say this, you know, I, I'm not going to give this book a lot of credit. And I think that we both agree on that. Um, I will say that I was not expecting some of those wacky threes company twists. That was, that was a <laughs> bit of a shock to me. Well, I think it's time we get right into it. Uh, this is the final review of the final chapters of The Cowboy from Christmas Past by Tina Leonard. Thank God. Our final reading begins with a clumsy discovery of a secret journal kept by Dillinger's late wife, Polly. Auburn has spent the day around the cabin as Dillinger tends to the ranch. No mention is made of the less-than-ideal motives for passion of the night before. As she peruses Polly's writing desk, Auburn shakes the titular earring, Remember? And Dingbat Bradley is flung into the past. No. Confronted with her ex-fiancé, Auburn tries, literally, to sweep the problem out the door. As she tries to get a handle on this new development, who should kick in the door? Why, none other than Pierre, of course! Bradley and Pierre immediately, and with nary a word, join forces and loom over Auburn as Dillinger finally arrives to save the day. Yeah, so everything is kind of, all the plot lines are converging here in the final third of the reading. Because you've got time-traveling cowboy and time-traveling woman, time-traveling baby. They're happy. They're happy. Three's company, five's a crowd. Because Bradley and Pierre show up, and they instantly, like, key into each other. Without saying a word, they know that they're buddies, because they're both insane creeps. It's specifically mentioned, like, I think Tina writes, like, they don't say a word to each other. They just lock eyes, nod, and are, like, pointing guns or whatever at Auburn. Like, what a buckwild thing to decide to do. We're here to mess this up. <laughs> it looks like you're happy, well, not anymore. Oh, you mean you're also here to ensure that they never find true love? Me too! Oh, it's nice to find someone with common interests. I mean, I'd never do it, but you look like a man who could pull the trigger, Bradley says to Pierre. Yeah, do you think Bradley was, like, you know, looking him up and down, and it's like, I wanted to taste his lips and feel the leather against my skin. I would never do it, of course. I'm a totally straight man, of course. But just, you know, if he wanted to give me a massage, it's just something I like to think about. Bradley feels conflicted in a lot of different ways. You know, obviously we've seen him have all these different thoughts about murder. I would not be surprised. I mean, he. we'll get to it. We'll get to Bradley's conclusion. But I think <laughs> what you're saying has a lot of merit. Instead of solving the tension, Bradley and Pierre will now be staying in the cabin as well, setting up a true <laughs> sitcom scenario. I've always wanted to run a bed and breakfast, Auburn. This might be my last chance. <laughs> what if I had my ex-wife's brother and your ex-fiance become all friends? Like, Dillinger, what the fuck are you talking about? I mean, he doesn't say that, obviously, but... Oh, my God. I just realized that this is truly a Christmas book, because for the holidays, you have all these absurd relations that come in and don't get along, but they're forced to, like, have Christmas dinner together. Whoa! Holy shit, yeah, and they all hate each other, but these guys are just much more serious about killing each other. Well... Well, actually, <laughs> it's, oh, it, shit. it turns out that being inside of a snowy cabin in the rural Texas over Christmas with a baby, a gunslinger and a time traveling Six Flags employee uh, will soften the hearts of anyone. Pierre, Bradley and Dillinger, in a classic cowboy move, decide to sleep facing one another in the living room, guns across their laps. Auburn fumes at the unwelcome visitors and storms off to bed but not before referring to the cabin as her house, much to the surprising delight of Dillinger. That I do, okay, and this is, this is where the book, again, for the third time, starts just completely changing and really bothering me. The, the end of our last reading, Dillinger specifically was like, I tried to fuck you back to the future because yeah. I'm really sad about my wife and this sucks. The, the, next, the next reading, when things get more complicated, he's down. He loves it and he wants Auburn. I don't understand that, like, weird shift in his attitude. 
Well, once you've had a taste of paradise, Lucky, it's hard to leave. I guess that's true. I mean, he did rock her world, it sounds like. So I guess, like, I mean, the emotions are a little... The whole getting her back to the future, it's like, oh, do you think it would help if we boned? I don't know. Maybe. Like, well, it didn't work. Maybe we should keep trying. <laughs> it's bone again, though. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, for some true romance, you do have to turn to Auburn in this moment because Dillinger has some throwaway line where he says something like, you know... It's better than being nestled in with your, you know, lover's bosom or something. And Auburn's like, oh, I wish he hadn't have said bosom. It sent her thinking about all of the things he had done to hers the night before. <laughs> but with these unexpected guests, they'd have to be under wraps tonight. And it's like, I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> Dillinger went all uh, George of the Jungle on your chest, Auburn. He was, he was uh, the Himalayan explorer, and he certainly crested those two peaks. Mm, and found the Yeti lurking somewhere inside. Uh, but she's wrong, right? Yeah, she's wrong in a pretty devious way. Um, in the middle of the night, Dillinger surprises Auburn in bed after drugging the other two men <laughs> to sleep. Yeah, he puts laudanum in their hot cocoa. Which is I, hilarious that they're I, all drinking hot cocoa. Yeah, I just and I, I realized that I didn't have any more to say after that. Like he just he puts he literally puts laudanum in his hot in their hot cocoa so that he can have sex with his girlfriend. Which is like, I mean, it's savage on a lot of levels because he's dragging somebody and that's already wrong. But then you keep building on top of it like, oh, my ex-wife's brother is in the other room and I drugged him so I could fuck this new woman. Ugh, her fiance's in there and I drugged him so I could fuck her. Like, that, damn, dude, that's a little like, You haven't been drugging the baby, have you? Uh, well, oh, shit. M- the medicinal world is a very different place in 1890s Texas. I mean, true. You used to be able to get cocaine over the counter to, like, calm your nerves, which, I mean, has to do the opposite. Time baby's no been really quiet. Haven't you noticed? Or haven't noticed. Is Time Baby even alive at this point? I mean, it feels like there's a lot of threads up in the air. Can you imagine if they'd gone out the next morning like, oh, well, wink, wink, I drugged them with laudanum so we could have our spe- – oh, Dillinger, that's so cute. And they go to shake Pierre awake and they're just dead. Oh, well. Again, I'm not a doctor. Um, I may have given them too much and this has resulted in sort of a Game of Thrones situation where I have poisoned my greatest enemies. <laughs> <laughs> Call me the Queen of Thorns because I'm reading this thing here now and it says one drop, not one full spoon. So, whoops. Um, the ground's not going to thaw for us to be able to bury them till spring. So, they're going to be in the outhouse. Listen, listen here, Auburn. Winter has come. We got to put them in the outhouse now. <laughs> and pretend this has never happened. If anyone else comes, we must tell them the same story. Or we kill them and put them in the outhouse too. I've done it before. I'll do it again. Don't look down the outhouse hole. <laughs> Find Polly down there. Her ghost. Holy shit. In a ring like situation. That's what this ghost has been trying to do the whole time. It's like Dylan just killing all the women he marries. Quick to the outhouse. Don't travel back in time with him. No. <laughs> and Auburn's like, he's so charming. Yeah. If um she had done everything correctly, she would have solved the cold case murders of Christmas River. The Christmas River killer would have finally been caught centuries that after. Would have been. Boy, could you imagine this book having turned into an actual good novel at the end? I mean, obviously that didn't happen, but I'm just, I I love this, (laughs) dreaming about what could have been. By the end of The Cowboy from Christmas Past, I wasn't even sure that I was still reading a book. And not just the loosely thoughts uh, written (laughs) down by some fever-dreamed mother. Another night of cowboy lovin' leaves Auburn wondering, (laughs) could Dillinger be her ever-after man? She's just now... No, sorry, go on. If I, if I interrupt you every time something is absurd in this book, we're never going to get to the end of it. So just, <laughs> we're just never going to end. 
The next morning, as Auburn makes breakfast, Bradley confronts her, trying to explain she actually does love him and her doubts are a byproduct of her lady brain. <laughs> Auburn emphatically shuts him down as Dillinger arrives with a freshly cut Christmas tree. Mm. As they head into the kitchen to eat, Dillinger plants a big kiss right on Auburn in front of everyone, causing Auburn to, quite literally, float with joy. Mm. I do want to mention just really quick the incredible misogyny of Bradley in this moment saying, no, 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 listen <laughs> up, toots. You don't understand. You do love me and we are getting married. Ugh. Yeah, because so from Pierre's perspective, there's just a bunch of people at a cabin in 1892. That's normal. Bradley has traveled through time, so he knows that there's magic here and he is so laissez-faire about it all. He's just sort of kicking back, having a, some Godiva hot chocolate and, you know, you're in love nice with me. Maybe I'll buy this place and we could live here forever. <laughs> like, you've traveled through time, my man. That's, like, enough to shatter anyone's perception of life. Yeah, he takes it really well in stride, I would say, than anybody else when he is lurched back in time. Where he just shows him and he's like, oh, nice cabin. Hell yeah. <laughs> Got beer? <laughs> Hell yeah, brother. Back in time, huh? Nice, nice, <laughs> nice. Uh, Auburn, we'll sit on my lap. No. <laughs> All right, then. Pierre? Seats open. <laughs> well, don't mind if I do. As Auburn hovers in the air, weightless from the kiss with Dillinger, Pierre screams witchcraft and finally makes his move. Mm. He declares he has returned to kill everyone, even though he's been hanging out for two days. <laughs> Eating soup and just chilling. <laughs> like, full meals, like full comfort. I bet at one point he cuddled up with a blanket and was reading like a fun book by the fire. And then he's like, well, I guess this is the moment. Well, when you have to share a chamber pot with someone for three or four days out in the wilderness, eh, you kind of get around to killing them eventually. I would think so. I mean, or at least confronting them about the nasty mess they made and the thing you yeah. both had to share. And Dylan just got the four-person mega chamber pot so they can all use it at the same time, which is um, – convenience <laughs> is not the right word. I, 18, the 1890s were different, right? Like, I, I got to say I'm going to defend Dillinger here. You got to keep your backs together for warmth, and it's obviously pretty <laughs> boring. Like, when Auburn moves in front of Dillinger to take the bullet, Pierre is suddenly struck with a powerful sickness. Yeah. <laughs> Against all reason – Auburn leads Pierre to the guest room so he can recuperate. I guess until he's well enough to kill them? The day wears on as Bradley begins cozying up to Dillinger, enthralled with his ranch lifestyle and country manliness. Dillinger and Bradley head out to check on the livestock as Auburn continues to snoop into Polly's private things. As she returns to the journal, it pops open on the floor, prompting Auburn to read. She learns Polly was unable to provide a child to Dillinger, a grave betrayal in Polly's eyes. Which, again, is a real commentary on like, women's perspectives in the 1890s, but... Very misogynist turn of events. I think part of it is the, these books want to play into the wish fulfillment of their intended audience. Mm. And this is marketed, I think, well, clearly towards people who already have kids or really want them. Interesting. And it's like, yeah. oh, baby's so cute, hunky cowboy. It's like a little bit of fluffy escapism for these, yeah, like Midwestern housewives is, I believe, the target audience. And so that's why it plays into that, like, babies, oh, so much. But the, it, the way it comes off to me, a young gay man, is that the primary function of women is to have kids. That a woman should want to have kids. And if a woman can't provide kids to her man, then she is then seemed as a failure. One thing they never mention is Dillinger shooting blanks. It's yeah, never, it's never his up. issue. It's mm -hmm. her failure as a woman. And it's never thought that, that he could be the root cause of the uh, lack of babies. Polly decides to adopt a child from the town the family could no longer take care of to provide Dillinger with the baby that he has always craved, apparently. 
As Auburn reads these words, she realizes that chi- the child in the journal is Time Baby. The words themselves then float off the page and disappear. Auburn begins to get a funny feeling that her time in the past is almost up. Yeah, so she finds the secret journal from Dillinger's dead wife, which is written mm-hmm. on paper with ink, presumably. Then the words literally fly off of the page and I quote, dissolve in a shower of twinkling lights. This is a plot device so contrived that it's mind boggling because the reason that it comes off the page is so she can't prove Polly's intentions to Pierre, which would end the conflict of the book. So the the words (laughs) disappear. But if it's Polly's ghost guiding uh, Auburn along this tract, why would her ghost put a roadblock like that in front of her new friend? Auburn. It makes no sense. It makes no sense at all. Like, uh, and, uh, you know, I think obviously we get to the end of that. I think we have a solid idea of what the magic was, but it just doesn't line up at any moment. Because, I mean, I I forget that even earlier in this book, Dillinger randomly teleports, like not even through time. He does teleport into a room and that's never brought up again. A a random magic power that just happens. Uh, And I just want to I just want to wrap up in a little in a little like nugget. What Polly's story Because it's like Christmas River, circa 1890, whatever. She dies trying to adopt a baby, then becomes a ghost, somehow steals that baby, takes it to her husband in the past. Then, in an effort to give him a new wife and the baby a new mom, she sends him to the future to meet Auburn. They hit it off. Then she sends them back in time, giving Dillinger amnesia for some reason. Then Mm -hmm. they fall in love again. Uh, and that's sort of where we're at now. But th- th- this is such a winding, twisted road for a ghost to take anybody on. At this point, it's like, ghosts know more than us, man. They've seen the afterlife. I just have to assume they see the times of fate and thread life more than we do. And why does she send Bradley back in time? Well, you know, Bradley needed to have a nice happy ending as well. And actually, maybe with Pierre, they get together. She's looking out for her entire family. I suppose. It's just... It's mind boggling. It's it's actually pretty reckless of this ghost to be playing with time in the way she is. Well, when we picked up this book and we were talking about time travel, I was like, I don't know, for a two hundred page doorstopper Harlequin, let's see how she handles the time travel, and it was poorly, <laughs> poorly. Well, folks, that brings us to halfway through our review. Uh, so it's obviously time for our sponsors. Uh, Mac, who who do we got this week for a sponsor for the show? Don't you mean when do we got our sponsor this week? Uh, what is happening? Don't you mean when's happening? That's right. Our sponsor this week is Time Cops. Stop traveling through time. Time Cops is a nonprofit organization dedicated to stopping universe imploding paradoxes before they happen. They do this by eliminating time traveling Hitler killers, Terminators, Magic Babies, Cowboys, and podcasts. Wait, what? Lucky, this isn't a time traveling show, is it? Well, I guess technically it is. Oh, God, no. Oh, God, they're here. Territory, stop it up. What, Mac, oh, my God, what are you going to do? Don't you mean, when am I going to do? Time to turn back the clock. Uh, well, I guess I wish Mac the best of luck wherever he ended up, and, uh... On with the show. I'm back from ancient Rome and ready to continue the show. I've lived a whole life of magical adventures in the breadth of one second. How was that? Yeah, when in Rome. Back in Dillinger's cabin, 
Pierre suddenly bursts out of his room in a fever-driven rage, hell-bent on killing Auburn, Dillinger, and Time Baby. I keep getting distracted and forgetting to murder you all. <laughs> Damn it, the food is too good. <laughs> I need to murder. <laughs> this weird sickness that hit me for no reason is knocking me out. Was that Polly's ghost that got him sick? I, I was going to say, seems like some ghostly shenanigans. Boomonia. <laughs> uh Auburn tries to de-escalate the situation with words to no avail. Thankfully, a swift kick to the ribs sends Pierre tumbling back into his room. Realizing the danger she is in, Auburn takes a hold of the earrings and prepares to depart. As Pierre again approaches Auburn, she, while holding time baby, grabs one of the earrings and is whisked back to the future. Dillinger and Bradley return to the cabin a short time later, only to learn the distressing news. Auburn has disappeared. Knowing the truth of the matter, Dillinger fears he will die of a broken heart. <laughs> In betwixt the drama, we learn Bradley and Dillinger have patched things up while working out on the ranch, after only one day, to the point that they're buddies now. Jumping back to Auburn, we find her and Time Baby safe in the lobby of the Hilton. Apparently, her parents have gotten word of her location and have paid for everything to keep her going. Okay, it just occurred to me that Bradley and Auburn never come to terms with each other. What Bradley does is get permission from her new boyfriend to, like, be called off. He just is charmed <laughs> by her new lover. Like, she's not allowed as a woman to solve her previous romantic problems, which she doesn't want to. She's decided, like, we're breaking up. I don't want to be with you. But he hounds her and hounds her and hounds her and only stops when he's like, ah, you know what? You have another man in your life. Like, it's not Dillinger's decision whether you marry Auburn, Bradley. Yeah, Bradley becomes kind of a dingus, right? Like, he's just portrayed as this kind of, like bumbling goofball but he's also terribly terribly misogynistic i mean auburn can make these decisions she did told him to his face and he's like well we're getting married anyway <laughs> here's my money yeah. like god insane. women are a currency in this book comforted in her safety net auburn takes the lesson of the cowboy from christmas past and moves forward with her life time baby safely in her arms she moves forward so fast it's the span, a span of a paragraph. She's like, well, I'm in the present now. He'll always have a place in my heart. The cowboy from Christmas past. Maybe I'll write a book about it. Nah. Ah, oh, time. Yeah, baby. nah. Anyway. It's you and me. And she, like, she's, she gets back to her hotel room and finds that only, like, a day or two has passed in her time. Sort of a Narnia situation there. She looks at the baby and immediately comes up with a new plan. Uh, and here's a quote. This is all one monologue. I'm going to have to figure out how to get you a birth certificate and passport. You and I can do some glow popping and perfume launching. We're going to develop a new line of baby-friendly perfumes, all natural and totally biocompatible. We'll call it Baby Planet and donate all the proceeds to mothers with children that need help raising. You'll be the perfect spokesbaby. Like, how long have you been thinking about this, Auburn? Yeah, you know, I mean, she was she was in that cabin for, what, like, nine to ten days? She probably had some time to start thinking about the future. Like, well, you know, if I was back in the future, I can start building an empire off of this baby. Pretty stinky, I guess, with all the chamber pots and the babies. So maybe she's like, okay, we need to invent, like, some serious plumbing. Auburn quickly grabs her stuff from the Hilton, relishing in her designer bags, and heads back to New York City with Time Baby. She is welcomed home with open arms and an incredibly quick acceptance of a new baby. <laughs> Everything seems right. Another moment where nobody questions anything and they're like, oh, a baby, great. We can take on this entire financial burden into our lives without even questioning it. Yeah, and the, the family doesn't know that Bradley's really gone. Um, as far as they know, he still exists in the world somewhere. Like, he's not dead um, and even though he's in the past, uh, spoilers, he does not ever return to the present. As far as we know, <laughs> the debt doesn't go away. You mm -hmm. know, presumably Bradley has a brother or, um, 
a cousin that's going to inherit the debt as well. Like, they're, they're signed contracts. It doesn't just go away because someone traveled into the past. Well, right. And he would, like, have a lawyer who would be managing it and, like, a team of accountants. There would be people who would still pursue this. It's not him himself going, like, ah, the debt. Let me personally go collect it and manage all of the finances. And he Same. wasn't married to Auburn, so she wouldn't get anything from his will. Presumably, I mean, he's he was fantasizing about murdering her up until a few days ago. I'm sure he would have put some stuff in his, you know documents like don't let like t- take them if anything happens to me if i disappear it was her take her to court <laughs> to call the time cops if i disappear <laughs> you gotta get the time cops on her <laughs> everything seems right except for the dillinger sized hole in her heart we then jump back to dillinger who is horribly sad to have lost auburn but happy to have two new roommates <laughs> Both Bradley and Pierre admit to the conclusion of their revenges over Christmas dinner, then agree to go into the ranching business together, spurring what I can only assume will be the first of many of a spin-off series. <laughs> Everything seems to be perfect for everyone, except Dillinger. Unable to handle his sadness and with the encouragement from Pierre and Bradley, Dillinger, for the first time since Auburn left, makes the slimmest effort to activate the power of the earrings to rejoin <laughs> Auburn. As the candles mysteriously extinguish around the men, they realize Dillinger himself has disappeared. Back to the future! (laughs) We return to the McGinnis household, where strong winds and crashing noises near the chimney disturb the almost perfect Christmas gathering. A chill sweeps over Auburn as she fears she'll be ripped through time again, except, there, on the wind, the sound of a baby's cry. She opens the front door to find Dillinger, there, in the future, having finally made his way to her. As the McGinnises wantonly add Dillinger to the party and into their family, we finish our final reading as Dillinger, Auburn, and Time Baby embrace, becoming a family forever after. This concludes our reading of The Cowboy from Christmas Past by Tina Leonard. Well, there's a little bit more. Yeah, I guess. You forgot about the epilogue where they go on a honeymoon in Hawaii and you get to see Dillinger in uh, board shorts. I got to say, we got to the end of the book and then I flipped to epilogue and I fucking like almost tossed my Kindle across the room. Like, no way, no way can there be more. Yeah, that scene exists only to show they did get married and also that Dillinger doesn't like contraceptives because he hates that she has an IUD. Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, And we mentioned this in a previous episode, but she like told him like, you know, okay, I have contraceptive so we can have sex without it you know worrying about me getting pregnant and he just like hates this about her he does not like the idea of a woman in his house deciding her her bodily functions so she's going to get it removed um because he's super manipulative to women and they are going to have a bunch of babies yeah they talked about like lots and lots and lots of babies like uh, uh, I, I mean you were talking about this earlier and yes this is the fantasy that tina's writing for right like this is for women who definitely do want to have yeah, lots of babies so maybe that is the ideal ending like take out your contraceptive i guess it's that ending is really in Tina's wheelhouse, Tina Leonard, uh, because her other books all have like a minimum of two babies. It's always like the Cowboys twins, the Minnesota ranchers triplets. <laughs> Quince at Christmas. Quincemas. I think it was funny that they recommended books for us at the end. I, I got Cowboys by the dozen. I mean, <laughs> yeah, what does that mean? <laughs> there was enough Cowboys in this one. I have some lingering questions. That the book does not answer, uh, and maybe you can enlighten me. Yeah, of course. Me. Uh, first off, D- Dillinger went at the beginning of the book. Dillinger is in our time, and it's you know maybe the best part of the book is Dillinger experiencing our world with the baby, and they're on this road trip. I kind of like that part of the book. Does he even remember that? Because all throughout the time in the past, he acts like that never happened, and it's never resolved that he has those memories or why he had amnesia in the first place. 
From my understanding, I assume no. I assume that like it was new Dillinger from the past. He never regained those memories. I, you know, I think, you know, we're talking about Polly's ghost and her doing things <laughs> yeah. to make this work. I think what she did is she made the amnesia because first Auburn had to fall in love with Dillinger. And then for some reason, Polly's ghost brain, Auburn now loving Dillinger had to make old misogynistic Dillinger fall in love with her and change his ways. I, I don't know why, but Polly's a ghost, man. She's got crazy, some crazy ghost logic. Um, <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so Bradley is then stranded in the past, so I'm wondering who's going to investigate his disappearance, because the police will be coming to find him, and they're going to go to his fiance, who had every reason to have him out of the picture. The list of evidence is just so enormous. I mean, the dead, mm-hmm. the baby, a really hunky new husband very recently after she was engaged. And I mean, theoretically, Bradley would have talked about his desire to hurt her to someone. And uh, there'd be evidence that he was, like, tracking her down. Like, if, if she's truthful about everything and omits the time travel, there's no way to tell what happened to Bradley. Because mm-hmm. the hotel staff would have seen Bradley last. They would have been the last people to see him alive in our century. Um, and they would say, like, well, no. The, the, and then then they see Auburn. And also, wow, yeah, it's really going to look like she murdered Bradley. <laughs> 100%. Well, you know, her defense is going to be, like, she finds an old picture from – 120 years ago like there see there's Bradley that's where you but up. there's no evidence of Christy of Christmas River I what right that's okay and that that point specifically brings up to me like it did this book even happen is Dillinger even real is Auburn just insane <laughs> and she's married to like a ghost but she has a lot of money so people don't really like worry about it uh there's a bit where uh when they're all still in the past where Auburn doesn't want to tell Bradley about the earrings because uh, and I quote he'd take the set of them and use them to trip around the world in every century and somehow manage to profit from it. Now there's a book idea. That's yeah. a book I'd like to read is some you know a corrupt businessman using time traveling earrings to just like rob time. Yeah, and then after a couple of books, he he's accrued a team of thieves who are all experts in their field from different years. I mean, like, it's incredible. It's writing itself, and, and Tina totally missed Bradley's that. 11. Brad Pitt would play Bradley. <laughs> That's okay. I didn't like this one, man. Uh, it was, like, <laughs> started off as kind of just a pithy, out-of-time romance, and then it kept resetting the characters and the situations, and ultimately it adds up to such little drama or tension by the end of the book that it's just like, what a wet the reading. This book is like thinking you have to go number two. So you race to the bathroom and then all you do is fart. Wow. No, I mean, I honestly don't, I don't think I have anything I could possibly add to what you said. It, I didn't like this book either. I think that it was just, it reset itself three times. We just read the same thing over and over. And it was like, just trying to fill up 200 pages of and something. Then events happen that are then forgotten about by the character. Like Dillinger goes through some personal growth and then it's reset and it never is relevant again. So you've essentially, at least as far as Dillinger is concerned, you've retconned some of his story. And that's really, um, I don't know. It just feels a little cheap and unnecessary to the plot. Yeah. I'd have to say, this is probably one of the books that I would not recommend the listenership. We did this for you. So you can know about what happens, but I I wouldn't take this one in fam. You know, I think that if you see the cover of the book, and it's a cowboy holding a baby, and that makes you want to read the book, then you're going to get, then then yeah, you read it. But don't think that it's anything more than that. Because it's not. It's less, maybe, even. Official GRBN stamp. Just watch Back to the Future Part 3 instead, and you'll have Ooh, a much that's a good better, recommendation. Yeah, it's faster. You'll have a much uh, better time, and more to talk about with your friends. Um, we sure had a lot of fun here at GRBN this season. Oh, fuck. And now, especially... Shouldn't you be working on the custom novel? Oh, Sorry, I thought I'd take this time to audition. 
yeah, that's right, folks. This is going to be the end of season one. Uh, we figured finishing with a Christmas book and then starting fresh in the new year would be a perfect way to go around. This is a journey into love and literature, though. Mac and I are exploring with with you, of course, the audience, romance in general, the niches, the nooks, the turns, the twists. And uh, I think it's time to really reflect on what we've discovered about ourselves and about the genre in this first uh, first season. Yeah, I'd like to take a look back at some of the um, books we read, some of what we learned, maybe, um, to kind of do a little retrospective and maybe uh, take mm. a look ahead at what uh, what's what's up coming up for me, or, or Jugerburban, whatever the fuck the shiz name is. I don't know. Yeah, and of course, we're going to have to do our Nookie Awards. I mean, obviously, we can't finish the season yes. without the Nookie Awards. Stay tuned for an interview with Mac and Lucky and find out the winners of the 2020 Nookie Awards. So, Lucky, um, five books in, mm. five books under the belt. Mm-hmm. Indeed. What was your favorite of the of the books we read? Hmm. You know, it's interesting thinking about that because I'm debating between you. Know, best, well, best written, what interested me the most, you know, just all the different layers, what makes a book good. I have to say, I think that my favorite book was The Ship Who Sang. You know, it's... Mm. It was my favorite because it was a couple of books kind of roped into one. And I loved how the story expanded over the years. You know, we saw Helva with a bunch of different pilots and we saw her experience all these different alien worlds and things. You know, not I wouldn't really call it a romance, Uh, but it has some romance in it. And um, we do do it. It's about her struggles Mm. uh, as a ship. And honestly, I mean, there is some misogyny in a ship who sang, but truly Helva is one of the stronger female characters Mm. that we've run into who stands on her own a lot and who is whose story isn't dependent on her heart or reproduction. Yep. Uh, mostly because her heart, I think, is like a robot and <laughs> she can't reproduce because she's a fetus inside of a spaceship. Mm. Yeah, I should mention, if you haven't listened to the Ship Who Sang episodes, uh, maybe maybe go back and then pop back into the retrospective because <laughs> it's going to have some spoilers. Yeah, we're, we're, best we'll be, that's a good point. We're going to be spoiling, I think, moving forward. So if you do plan to read these books, this, that's a good that's a good note. And the Ship Who Sang really is the one you if you're going to read one of these books, it really is the most entertaining. Like if you don't like romance, it's the one that's like very good. Well, then is that are you saying that was your favorite book as well or do you have a different choice? No, Bear is oh. my favorite book <laughs> okay. uh, by Marion Engel, the tender love story between a coquettish librarian and an actual real-life bear. Um, I li- It was unflinching and bold and literary, and uh, I think it had the best quality of writing. Mm-hmm. I agree on um, that. Shifu Sang was more adventurous, but Bear had just this, like, tender poetry to it, and the fact that it's just so fucking weird <laughs> – I don't think I've ever read another book like it, and it's not something you would ever forget having read. But I wouldn't recommend it. You have to be in a really specific mindset, I think, to read, like, to enjoy it fully. And I agree; I think it's incredible writing. It just, it's written so well. Um, it, the, the, cha- the subject matter is very challenging, and like, it, I would say Bear is higher on my list than some of our other books we've read. But yeah, it's not going to take the top spot for me. Yeah, actually, brings me to um, my next question for you and for me <laughs> and the audience at home. Uh, we can't hear you. Uh, what was your least favorite book that we read? Yeah, that's going to be the Cowboy from Christmas Past. I mean, it's not the even Cowboy it's not even a question. Five hours talking about it. <laughs> it's boring, repetitive, and its biggest sin for me 
is that it didn't capitalize on its premise whatsoever. Mm-mm, not even a little bit. I mean, you, you can do a lot of cool stuff with time travel without even having to know how to write time travel. You don't have to be jumping back and forth mm-hmm. and amnesia and everything. It's too much, too convoluted for a story that stands still. It's stagnant. And to build up Pierre and Bradley as villains and then have them completely flop out, like why couldn't Dillinger and Pierre have gotten into a gun gunfight mm. and then Pierre gets shot but lives and then gets nursed back to health instead of random ghost monia, boo monia. It doesn't doesn't make any sense. Mm. But we just talked about the cowboy from Christmas past for like five episodes, so maybe we'll <laughs> So that, that's it. We'll that's our least that. favorite. Put a pin in it. So since we've been, you know, we've got our favorite, we've got our least favorite. What uh, what have you learned from this experience? What do you feel like what do you feel like you've um you've gained in knowledge about the romance genre in general? Well, we touched on it earlier, but I think something I really picked up that I didn't know about the genre mm. is how much these books play into the fantasies of their intended audience. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, because all the characters, all the protagonists of all the books we've read are kind of broken in some way. They've had their heart broken. They are themselves not a full human being in the case of the ship who sang, um, you know, America Singer gets her heart broken before the book really even gets going. Her story. God. When you mention broken characters, I immediately think of Wittershins, right? Because, I mean, they had so yes. they had so many like, issues within themselves that they were trying to discover. And I think it's also a commentary on, like, being gay in that time as well. But, you know, I just – you're right. I think every single protagonist, even Dillinger to an extent, they have these, like, broken yeah. things in them that they need to solve. And it's really, it's really specific for a certain type of audience, you know? It's something they can relate to and fantasize about. Yeah, and I think that the, the romance genre itself is – more psychologically revealing than other genres. Mm. Like if you find someone who really likes a certain romance novel, I think I could tell you a lot about that, the person and what they want because other books hide it a little bit better, Mm -hmm. but like the cowboy from Christmas past, it's like, it knows what you want. You want cowboys, you want babies. It knows what you want. That sounds good Buy the fucking book. And those Harlequin books sell, they sell like hotcakes. So what about you? Um, Five romance novels in, if you had to sort of tie it all up, what would you say you've learned? You know, when we started this, I was so apprehensive about Bear, and I think I'm still huh. just as apprehensive about it. Uh, but I do got to say that I feel like I have a better understanding about the genre in general. You know, we just talked about the concept of it being written for specific types of people and it being really marketed to a certain type of fantasy. I think that's something that I've really picked up. I, I find that there are still some gaps in that sense. I feel like I don't quite understand the romance genre and, like, what they're trying to achieve because, you know, we, we've gone from, like, eroticism to just pure no sexual contact romance. And I don't know. I just – it feels like – I don't know. I feel like we haven't really found it yet. Haven't found the essence of romance novels. Well, I think that the romance tag gets put onto a lot of books where there is a central relationship, mm. you know, at its core or that it gets resolved by uh, – through romance. But really what people think of with romance of, like, the Fabio book cover – and the longing woman, you know, the, the Duke's milkmaid, that's a very specific subgenre of romance. Because mm-hmm. uh, lo- all these books are different. Wittershins is a horror novel. Shippusang is a science fiction novel. The Selection is a book. But w- they all have <laughs> genres subheading beneath them. Uh, so I think romance is a very fluid – it's a very fluid genre that can be applied to and attached to other uh other types of work i want to applaud you for your good slam on the selection there i almost missed it um <laughs> what is your position on romance novels then now that we've read a couple of them do you, how do you feel about them based on like your ratings of the genres you read in general i'm hmm. still not a romance fan mm. i would say mm-hmm. but i think it's having more romance in other types of fiction would be really cool i think that there's this um 
Mm, I think there's this idea that if you're doing romance, that's all you have to be worried about. And I think um, like Wittershins really bucks that trend mm. because it has an intriguing story at its heart mm-hmm. and it has a sex in it. And so if you, you know, if you're, if you don't like, if you don't read about gay sex, don't read Wittershins. But if you don't mind gay sex, you can still enjoy that story beyond it. So that's a good fusion of those genres. And I feel like oftentimes in horror you don't have romance or if you do, it's twisted mm. or disturbed in some way. It gets broken mm-hmm. uh, and you don't really see characters coming together while solving a supernatural crime um, outside of books that are specifically labeled romance or right. erotica. Erotica. Speaking of erotica, what, uh, how do you, what's your take on the sexual aspects of the romance genre? So I think I've mentioned this quite a bit, how vastly different it is to me. And I still don't really understand what to expect in a romance novel in terms of like eroticism. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't need, I don't need a big story around my sex. I mean, yeah, at a certain point, porn is porn. So I don't need, if I, if I'm, if I'm going after that, I don't turn to a 300 page novel for, for sexual pleasure. Uh, There's, there's other resources (laughs) for that. Um, and so sometimes they don't really balance well. Mm. It's either like really smutty chapters or plot chapters. And I, it's, it's, it, it can really interrupt the flow of a book. Mm. Wittershins, uh, I did just compliment it. Um, but one of the flaws I think is that it has some sex scenes that really interrupt the flow of the narrative. Gratuitous. So while certain sex scenes, um, especially the first ones between, uh, Griffin and Wyborn, that's really important for their arcs and it's actually a fulfillment of their character. But then there's a few more sex scenes sprinkled in there that like really halt the flow of it. So mm-hmm. it can be a really useful tool. Uh, for a writer, but then it also can 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 interrupt. Interesting. Uh, or it's like the selection where it's just incredibly repressed and frustrated. Uh, and you know, bear for how disgusting some of it was. Um, the sex in that was completely tied to the character, and it never felt like, oh wow, another sex scene solely to try and make people horny. The sex yeah. scenes in that book are not intended to turn you on. I no, don't think. Not even the one with Homer. No, no, God, especially that's the least sexy sex scene in the whole book. <laughs> well, big, I'm big to disagree in that one. <laughs> and now, the moment you've all been waiting for, the <laughs> announcement and selection of the 2020 Nookie Awards. That's right. It is the only romance novel podcast awards given out in December by two best friends in the Pacific Northwest doing a show called GRBN. Yeah, I was going to say that's all. That's not enough. <laughs> there might still be another group it's doing this. Definitely getting sued if we <laughs> do that. Yeah, we've got seven award categories. Lucky and I have each picked our choices, are the selections, if you will. <laughs> uh, they've duked it out in a castle over the course of a boring trilogy, and now we are going to present our choices to you. Uh, first up, we have the Nookie Award for Best Sex Scene. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Lucky, what was your... Uh, winner you know i actually think this is going to become as a surprise uh my i think my the best sex scene was in chapter 14 of Wittershins by oh. jordan l hawk that is the chapter before it gets incredibly raunchy where the lights come back up and they continue to have sex for an entire chapter yes. the first half of that i think was the best written sex scene we read in all of our books it was sensual uh it was mm-hmm. fitting for the characters uh that is also my best sex scene oh, hey. of our 2020 season well, look at that. Right off the bat, we're already in sync. This is perfect. We're agreeing, yes. Uh, Mac, now, obviously, the, I, I think I'm, I'm hoping we agree on this next one as well. What is your nomination for the worst sex scene? The honeypot. I wrote the my honeypot, least favorite too? sex scene, yes. Where the 
protagonist of Bear puts honey on her pot and lets Boo Bear have a smack roll. Man, you said all of that so upsetting that I had three very real shivers in a row. Oh, God. Uh, I it's a tide moment actually for me because it, it's I, I have the food scenes from bear because there's the honeypot and then it's not sex, but she shares a bowl of cornflakes with the bear and like makes out with him. Uh, and I found that so stomach churning um, that those two food scenes were uh, more than worthy of worst sex scene. Yeah, I, I couldn't movie. agree more. Couldn't agree more. Next up, we've got two awards, uh, and I think I'll get both your answers, and I'll say both of mine. Okay. Uh, we have the King of Groans and the Queen of Groans. Which characters made us roll our eyes and go, ooh? My nomination for King of Groans comes to us from The Ship Who Sang, featuring <laughs> character Niall Parolin, the yep. terrible, terrible officer who did her dirty. Uh, <laughs> and then my Queen of Groans is actually uh, Celeste. From the selection. Oh, wow. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, kind of a twist um, there. Uh, my King of Groans is Parolin from ah! the Shippu Sang as well. Yes, he's a misogynist at every turn. He is uh, emotionally abusive and mm-hmm. a pervert. He's a pervert. Off, he almost uh, kills her because he, he wants to see her naked. Like, Yeah, he wants to rip off her shell casing <laughs> and uh, touch her sweet, sweet fetal body, which um, if that oh. doesn't shrivel your penis up like the Wicked Witch of the East's legs, then I don't know what will. And your Queen of Groans? Uh, it is also from the selection that I picked America Singer herself. Celeste was a bitch, but at the end of the day, I feel like she's playing the game. Like, that's how you play the selection. America um, has this inability to know what she wants. She makes fun of people and is really judgmental to every single person that she meets. Mm-hmm. You know what? I'm so. going to concede my point. I agree with you. I think America Singer is our queen of groans. Uh, next up uh, for our awards is the uh, the Knight in Shining Armor Award, or for uh, for our new listeners, this is the first time we've done this, the award that we give to the actually good positive love interest, uh, apparently a character few and far between in these books. So I'm curious, Matt, yes. who, is your, who is your Knight in Shining Armor? Well, to determine who my Knight in Shining Armor is from these books, I had to make a list of all of the positive male characters, uh-huh. uh, which is incredibly short. <laughs> So, um, drumroll please, the winner for the 2020 Knight in Shining Armor Award goes to Griffin Flattery from Oh, nice, nice, excellent. Uh, he's uh, actually a positive influence on his love interest's life, which is something that can't be said about any of the other love interests from the books that we've read. <laughs> Parolin, The Bear, um, Maxwell, fucking, I don't remember his name from the selection. <laughs> um, and certainly not Dillinger Kent. Mm-hmm. Dillinger, get your IUD taken out. It's ASAP Kent. Brutal, brutal. I actually agree with you. Griffin Flattery was my choice as well. You know, he's a little broken, but I think as a gentleman, he certainly uh, helped uh, Wyborn get out of his shell. Uh, second to last award here is goes out to the best book cover. Uh, one of the funniest things about romance novels is the often hilarious and misrepresented <laughs> covers of their books. Uh, <laughs> And we had some doozies. This was uh, actually kind of a hard one to to determine. But um, Lucky, what was your oh, uh, winner for best book cover, Nookie 2020? I am nominating the cover of The Ship Who Sang by Anne McCaffrey. That oh. phallic big rocket right on the cover is so <laughs> funny to me. Like, it is just so obvious. I love the kind of retro theme to it. You know, it's it's um, it, it, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of story to tell with that cover. Oh, interesting. I, I do like that. There's a lot of cool covers for The Ship Who Sang. Um, I don't know if it really counts because the cover of the edition that we have is not particularly 
erotic, but Bear has mm. some hilarious covers. Uh, so that would be my nomination. In particular, I think it's the OG cover from its original publication, uh, where you've got a shirtless woman standing in front of a bear, and the bear's paw is, like, somehow coming around and blocking <laughs> her breasts. And that is just, like, preposterous. that's more beautiful than the whole book. A mm. Picture is worth a thousand words, and all of those words in that are, what the fuck? Yeah, <laughs> what happened, why the fuck, and how the fuck? My runner-up was actually The Selection. That book cover is oh, fantastic. I think I it's really like well shot. Yeah. Hmm. GRBN can only can only offer one. I'm going to go with Bear. I think I'll I think I'll concede again because the essence of the show started with Bear. It is a preposterous cover. A bear covering a lady's breasts is so funny. Just that sentence alone. I think Bear wins for funniest cover and then I'm going to give Ship Who Sang maybe like an alt award for mm. like actual best cover like coolest cover good cover yeah 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 good uh, th- cover that that spaceship is just so phallic it just takes up half and the cover there's a picture of a woman's face on there <laughs> as though that's the ship who's saying that she's helva but she would not look like that's no one she's a that's fetus not- tube like it's <laughs> well they can't put that on the cover oh unless shit unless they're marketing towards those women they. who like babies <laughs> no awards show is complete without the award for most terrible least baddest Anything. So for uh, for what we've decided for uh, this 2020 Nookie Awards, we're going to be offering the Blardy for most misogynistic moment in a book this season. Yeah, so named after Paul Blart Mall Cop franchise, which is uh, a couple movies that hate women. Oh, they hate women very seriously. And in honor of that, we'd like to offer this award up. Um, Mac, well, who is your nomination for the uh, Blardy this year? Uh, you know, I am going to nominate Tina Leonard for The Cowboy from Christmas Past. Uh, That's in hilarious. particular, how – for having Polly feel like she robbed <laughs> Dillinger of happiness by not being able to conceive, which could very well be his fault. She dies because of his insecurities. He did kill her. Pierre was not wrong. I mean, okay, hang on. Didn't he go to town to get medicine for her because she was sick with pneumonia? Because she went to try and get a baby oh, in the middle of a right. storm. Right, right, right. So she, went, she was trying to adopt a baby and caught pneumonia. Right. Thank you. All because of his insecurities. And that's, a fl- and that's, again, like a flaw in her. That's a really interesting way to go about it. I wasn't thinking about authors at all. I was thinking about characters. But, I mean, oh. obviously we're lining up completely. I chose Dillinger Kent's 1892 Expectations of Decent Women from The Cowboy of Christmas <laughs> yeah, Past. That's good. Okay. I think we can all we can roll that into one <laughs> it's Tina. Um, award winner. It's The Cowboy from Christmas Past. You are our Blardy this year. Thank you so much for playing. Um, but Congratulations you- to all of our winners. Um, you can pick up your trophies and uh, laurels for your book covers. Just contact us at grbooknook at gmail.com. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Reach out. Get those um, trophies. And for you listeners out there, uh, feel free to tweet at us. That's at uh, grbooknook. Instagram as well. Uh, and we've already mentioned the email. It's a great way to ask us questions. If you're looking for book recommendations, we're more than happy to step up and offer that for you. Yeah. If you're a fan of the show or of Lucky Your Eye, the best thing you can do is tell your friends about the show. Uh, it's really a word of mouth sort of deal. We don't... Um, advertise or put any ads out there and um even the ads in our show are fake so really there's, we don't gain a lot from this other than having a Mac good time. Our secrets no <laughs> yeah time cops and, <laughs> time and, cops um, is so real uh, this episode brought to you by baby planet the only perfume for babies <laughs> and that's about as much work as we put in it folks um just in case you didn't hear from the last episode, uh, we're going to be taking a one-week break leading up into Season 2. We've got some good stuff for you, but we need a little bit of time to work on it and get everything ready for publication. So uh, the next episode is actually going to be going up on January 22nd, 
and then we will be back to our every other week schedule. Yeah, shout out to Twin Musicom for the music at their intro and outro. That is a hip hop Christmas. Thank you, Twin. <sighs> well, Mac, that uh, man that ties up uh, season one. I, I mean, obviously we have a well deserved break coming up, but do you maybe want to get a jump start? Just start to throw in some concepts back and forth about what could be coming for folks the next season. Yes. Maybe some teasers. I think we need to multiply the number of hosts we have by twelve. So twenty four gentlemen hashing it out. Okay, so just like a logistical yeah. standpoint, one mic, 24 men, no waiting. <laughs> I've seen that movie. <laughs> I'm thinking that it would be really good of us to in- include maybe like an animal co-host. You know, I love the idea oh. of another co-host, but something like something that maybe yes. doesn't really have an opinion that just agrees with us with like barks or meows or woofs or mu- okay. moos. You're thinking like a Zaboomafu situation. Yes, thank you. The perfect example. Yeah, I want a cheeky little lemur to get up on here and say opinions about like Wittershin's nasty sex scenes. <laughs> and say funny things like, it's a living. Oh, well, that would be fun. And then we don't pay him, obviously. It's not a living. But not yet. Yeah.